This is episode number 788 with the inspirational Amanda Wynn. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Ross Perot said, the activist is not the man who says the river is dirty. The activist is the man who cleans up the river. And Woodrow Wilson said, you are here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world. Yes, you are, my friends. Welcome to this episode. You are here to make an impact, and it starts with you. It doesn't start by you screaming and shouting at the world. It starts by you doing the work yourself within and making the impact by doing the work without as well. Amanda Wynn is here. She is someone that came on my radar recently and that I've been inspired to follow. And I'm going to tell you why here in a second. She's the founder and the CEO of Rise, a non-governmental civil rights organization. She was the power behind the Sexual Assault Survivors Rights Act, one of 23 bills to pass unanimously through U.S. Congress. She was a kid who, was, who had graduated school and had something unfortunate happen to her personally and said she wanted to make a change and didn't know how to go about changing policies in government. How do you go about these changes? Should you call your congressman? Should you do marches with signs? What's going to actually change the world? And she's been doing that. We discuss the difference between activism and organizing. We talk about how to get a bill passed in your state and and what really grabs political attention. If you want to make a change, is it enough just to post something on social media or what do you really need to do? She breaks down step by step. How politics is all about emotion and not the logical and the facts part of it. Yes, you need to have some facts, but it's an emotional experience. The difference between work-life integration versus work-life balance, how to really build an organization and a movement at such a young age, and so much more. Very excited about this. Make sure to share it with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 788, and tag Amanda Wynn, N-G-U-Y-E-N, over on Instagram as well, and let her know what you think while you're listening to this episode. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off 
We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. I'm super excited about this one. It's a powerful lesson on what's possible if you have an idea and you want to change the world with the one and only Amanda Wynn. Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got Amanda Wynn in the house. So good to see you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you for being here. Excited about everything that you've been up to. You've been really a a change agent in helping move forward sexual assault survivors to have more rights and to pass these laws in the U.S. specifically. And you've done some amazing work over the last couple of years. And you have an incredible story of why you got into this in the first place. Can you share why this is so important for you and such a passionate movement for you. Absolutely. So my background's actually in astrophysics and national security. Right. I'm a uber nerd. And so you want to be an astronaut, right? Uh, yes, and I still do. You um, still do, okay. Yeah, my expertise is in exoplanets. Um, what does that mean? So, so exoplanets are, I love this question, exoplanets <laughs> stand for extrasolar planets. They're planets outside of our solar system. Okay. And... Um, my party trick is super nerdy. I tell people, do you want to learn how to discover an exoplanet? I can teach you in three minutes. And then I go on a tangent about discovering exoplanets. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my nerdiness informed my activism. So I started RISE because I needed civil rights. After I was raped at Harvard, I discovered a broken criminal justice system. So like so many other survivors do, to be quite honest, and... In my particular case, in Massachusetts, before the laws I wrote passed there, rape kits, which are the evidence that's collected in a a rape, rape kits could be destroyed at six months, even if the statute of limitations for prosecuting rape is 15 years. Um, Wow. Yeah. So wait, so so you could uh, deal with rape and then go get a rape kit Mm -hmm. uh, used on you to, to collect the evidence. Correct. And then what you're saying is after six months, they could destroy the evidence. That's right, without so even testing it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Without testing, they would That's have right. it, and mm-hmm. then be like, oh, we don't want to use this anymore. Throw it in the trash. We just don't care. That's right. And so the victim would never have the ability to prosecute. That's right. It's It was much just harder. he said, she said type mm-hmm. of conversation. That's exactly it. And when I started researching what rights I had, I discovered a patchwork of rights across the United States. So in some states, while they destroy rape kits, other states didn't. And I thought this was very unfair. Why is that? Yeah, so we literally have etched above our highest court of the land, the Supreme Court, equality under the law. And that was not happening for rape survivors or sexual violence survivors. Literally two survivors in two different states had two different sets of rights. And I thought to myself, well, I have a choice here. I can accept the injustice or rewrite the law. One of these things is a lot better than the other. And so I rewrote it. How does someone rewrite a law? Yeah. um, (laughs) Just 
It's actually quite simple. You get out a piece of paper and a pen and you write it up and you say, hey, I want to pass this. Yeah, it's actually, you know, you're not so far off from the truth. What a lot of people I wish understood now in today's political climate is that everyone not only has agency, but that they have a constitutional right to petition the government. That is in our constitution. Mm which means that our democracy should be accessible. After all, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It is true that nowadays politics is nearly inaccessible. And what I mean by that is there are profit models in politics of people paying a premium for lobbyists, for consultants, and maybe they'll give you access and connections to politicians, and then maybe they'll yield some results. But... If you ask people, you know, how do you actually pass a law? Most people won't be able to tell you that, even though it's your right to. Wow. And, and why is that, right? And so that's why I created a theory of organizing. It's called Hoponomics. And it gamifies the process of passing a law and then adds a diplomacy theory to it. Okay. Um, so over the past 21 months, I'm so proud of my team. We've passed 21 laws. Wow. All unanimously. And it impacts at least 40 million people. Wow. Yeah. And so 21 laws, would it be the same law in 21 states? That's correct. So some of these laws are bifurcated. So it's not in 21 states. One is a federal law. Another is an international law. Wow. Um, and the rest are state laws. They're all called Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights. And in this Bill of Rights, I... Actually, Senator Grassley had asked to name the law after me, and I said no. The reason why is because I remember walking into my local area rape crisis center, and the waiting room was filled. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And I didn't realize how ubiquitous this issue was. You know, I had cared about this issue before, had no idea how broken the system was and how many lives it impacted and impacts until I walked into that room and became a survivor myself. Wow. And Where was this room in D.C. or in, in Boston? It was Boston. Yeah. So you went in. Yeah. There's an actual facility. That's right. A rape survivors facility? Yes, rape crisis centers. Really? Yeah, so all across the United States, there are uh, local nonprofits that work on direct services helping process rape survivors to Holy have access cow. to counseling. Here's the problem, though. Not all states, not all, um, well, not all cities have them. I'm very lucky that in Boston Boston, they had one. But I walked in and it was filled. And I realized at that moment, it was a critical catalyst moment for me, that one, my story was not mine alone. And that if I was having this much difficulty accessing simple information about what I am supposed to do after my rape, and I was at Harvard, and my professor at the law school was my attorney, you know, one of the best attorneys in the nation on this. What is other people, what, what is everybody else doing, right, that doesn't have the access to resources that I have? And that was a huge problem. When I was thinking about where to move, you know, from here after my rape, I called different attorneys, and they had told me, look, Rape cases, on average, take a couple years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's right. It's and almost like it's, you don't forget about it, but it's like, oh, time has passed so much that like I don't want to rehash these correct. emotions. Yeah. It's a very emotional experience. Absolutely. Do I want to go to court within two mm-hmm. years and mm-hmm. try to fight this? That's right. Like, I've tried to move on with my life. Yeah, exactly. So many people oh choose gosh. to do that, and there's no right or wrong answer. But what they presented to me at that time, a senior at Harvard about to graduate, and I had a career 
um, opportunity that I really wanted to pursue was a choice, and that choice was your career or your justice, one or the other. Mm. And that is not a choice that anyone should be ever forced to make. So why why did you have to make a choice essentially? Because yeah. you have to spend a lot of time in court or um both. So the job opportunity I was offered was to be a presidential appointee in Barack Obama's administration. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to serve my country in this way. And he only had two years left. And if my rape trial was gonna take two years, which means that I had to come and appear in court. Um, in Massachusetts, away from D.C., that was going to affect my chances Mm. and my job performance. But here's the thing. That's why there are long statute limitations or no statute limitations at all for the crime of rape because society has recognized that this crime affects survivors and is trying to give survivors an opportunity to, at a moment in their lives when they're ready, come back. Mm. Um, And so I chose my career. Because Massachusetts had has 15 years for me to come back. Really? Yes. And so wow. that's when the six-month snag hit for my rape kit. Because I chose my career. I went to D.C. But then— um, You did the kit. Yes, that's right. And I found out that at six months, it would be destroyed. And I'd have to come back to Massachusetts and fight to hold on to my evidence. So here's the double standard, right? The double standard is that convicted rapists in Massachusetts have the right to hold on to the evidence for the duration of their conviction. And then on top of that, class A felony, other class A felony crimes like murder never has the evidence destroyed, Mm. right? And so, by the way, it makes no sense for anyone in the party. So one of our biggest champions in Massachusetts was the former executive director of the Innocence Project. Having evidence can exonerate the accused, and then evidence and standard operating procedures helps law enforcement be yeah. able to find the truth. And so the Survivor Bill of Rights shorthand um, is a collection of laws that had already passed around the United States that had legal precedence um, and that worked to better the criminal justice system for all parties at, uh, at play. Um, so the things that it includes are the right to hold on to the evidence and not have it be destroyed before the statute of limitations. Yeah. Super basic. So 15 years, is that what I mean? Or? So it depends on every single state okay. um, because every single state has their Different. own rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's supposed to match up to the statute of limitations. Wow. So another right is the right to not have to pay for your rape kit. So in some states, survivors are still getting charged for it. Wow. It can cost up to $2,000. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine if, oh, and they have creditors calling them if they can't afford to oh pay it. Oh, my goodness. But if your car was stolen, right, you would not have to pay for the police to come to your home, the ga- like the, the gas tank, you know, for the police to come and collect evidence. Or So why do you have to do that in the cases of rape? It creates this social economic barrier that disincentivizes survivors from coming forth. And many survivors don't report their rape or sexual right. violence of for many reasons, one of them being that they don't trust the criminal justice system, right. which is not an unfounded... Or just um, shame or guilt yes. or insecurity or That's fear right. or That's right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another How many right. people are, are sexually assaulted every year in the U.S.? That's Yeah. So awful. there are a ton of statistics on this. The one we quote a lot is that there are 25, at least 25 million rape survivors in the United States. Wow. Um, 25 million survivors total? Total. Not yearly. That's correct. And what that means is that's the entire population of Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of people. And after the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. right, 
we now know that everyone in our lives, we know at least somebody um, who has been affected by this rape and sexual violence, unfortunately affects all people of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another right that's in the Survivor Bill of Rights is the right to be notified of your rights. Very basic. It's kind of like a Miranda rights. But because there are such different resources that vary drastically from not only state to state, but county to county, in moments of trauma, it's really important for survivors to get access to information and quickly. So that's one of the other rights. And the right to have a copy of your police report. It sounds so basic, but survivors are getting denied it. We put together these basic set of rights and aim to pass it in the United States Congress. And when we first started out, we were a group of 20-something-year-olds um, <laughs> with no money, no connections, no power. And people thought we were a joke. And we just kept relentlessly organizing, putting our heads together. You used GoFundMe? Is that what you used? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we actually did that. How we much did, did you proud- raise on there? On the original <laughs> days, we, I think we raised like 20000 Yeah. Now we're at two million. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. So what's the two million used for right now? Yeah, so we ended up passing the bill in Congress, but not only did we pass it in a gridlocked Congress where nothing passed, we passed it unanimously and in seven months. So we hold the record um, in the past decade for the most efficient legislative reform movement in U.S. history. And we became because both parties are on board. It's not like it's. Everyone understands this. Mm-hmm. We became the 21st bill in modern U.S. history to pass unanimously on an on-the-record vote in Congress. Wow. An on-the-record vote means that um, senators had to come in person and cast their vote. And wow. Yeah, they, so they did really that. Got behind it. That's right. Jeff Sessions and Elizabeth Warren stood together for this, and they had never done that, and they never will do that again. Wow. <laughs> so how do you pass a bill? Yeah. How does, I mean, how does, how does the process even work? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that As a question. 20-something with no money. <laughs> Fundamentally, I want people to know that the most powerful tool we all have is our voice. And that these institutions, these hallowed institutions of Congress, uh, may seem scary, but it is our constitutional right to go in and talk to these politicians because they serve the people. Mm. They're supposed to serve us. So you can just show up and take a meeting Mm -hmm. essentially whenever you want. That's correct. With anyone in Congress? So obviously it's helpful to have an appointment. But technically, constitutionally, you are supposed to be able to access your representative or your senator both not only in their D.C. office, but in their home office as well. Wow. You're a constituent, you have that right. Wow. But here's how to hack Congress, right? Here's how to pass a law. So this is the part most people don't understand. It's my pet peeve when people say, call your member of Congress. Because it doesn't really picking, work. They're not picking up. It doesn't really work. It's an yeah. answer machine probably, right? That's right. Yeah. So in order to game the system, you need to understand the rules of the system. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you those rules. When a bill is introduced... It gets assigned to a committee. Most civil rights bills are assigned to the Judiciary Committee. So right now, in Congress, Senator Lindsey Graham is the chairman of the Judiciary. What this means, and this is a very powerful position, is that the chairman or chairwoman has agenda-making authority. 
One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is very, very important. Agenda-making authority is just like it sounds. That person is the sole person in the entire Congress who can set the agenda for bills to be voted on. Mm. So bills, most bills die because they don't make it on the agenda. Interesting. Yes. So you so, can call the senator as much as you want, right? but it doesn't matter. Unless they are the chairperson of that committee and they're going to set the agenda. How does a bill get introduced? Yeah, that's a great question too. So, Like again, you just take out a piece of paper and pen, you say, <laughs> here, I want to introduce this to you. So a um, member of Congress has to introduce it. But just like you said, the way that we were able to pass our laws so efficiently is because we did that work. You didn't <laughs> so, say, here it is. That's correct. It's all written up for you. Mm -hmm. Just sign off on it. Yeah. And then move it forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, members of Congress are very busy. Put it that way. Given the benefit of the doubt, they're very busy. They have yeah. many things to do. If you have a good idea, and you're able to convince them two things. One, that it's the morally right thing to do, and two, it's the politically strategic that thing for them to do. Yeah, it makes them look good. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I'm very cognizant of is activism fatigue. A lot of people wake up and there are so many burning trash cans everywhere, and people are like, okay, how do I... things people want to be supported with That's and right. shared on social media and donations right. and vote for this and march for this. That's right. and It's like... How, what do you so many, do? So many things you can care about That's right. in a day when you yeah. have your own issues That's and your right. own problems too. Mm -hmm. And what most people want to see is a return on investment mm -hmm. of their energy. And what I mean by that is, 
okay, if I'm going to march, what is that going to result in, right? Is there going to be a result? Yeah. Or is it a wasted day? Exactly. A, a good photo and a, a sign that yes. I get to share out. Exactly. And it's more activism and social movements are more than just a fashion trend, right? And so for us, that's why I gamified the process of passing a law. Mm. But um, more specifically, I think there's a difference between activism and organizing. So activism to me is straight voltage and organizing is directed energy. We need both, right? But in order for social movements to sustain, activism is necessary. Anger can fuel movements, but it cannot sustain movements. Hope does that. Can anger pass a law? I think it can pass a law. Or make a, cha- make a change? I think it certainly can, but it cannot sustain it for decades, mm. right? Anger is inherently, to me, a surface emotion. For me, um, anger comes from somewhere. You're hurt. Whatever it is that's underlying that emotion is fueling that anger, and it's not a lasting emotion. This it is flames even, out. That's yeah. correct. So what happens after you flame out? How can you sustain the change that you're trying to make? And that, that's where hope comes in. To me, there's a difference between a hope and a dream. Dreams are things that you think about. They're nice to have. But in order to have hope, you have to have a plan to get there from mm. point A to point B. And here's where it comes back to gamification. Games have a couple different aspects to them. Good games have a very clear objective, a finish line. They have a skills. A next level. That's correct. Yeah. They have skills building. So you're never given more than you can handle. They have uh, constant feedback loops. So, you know, you're playing your plus one life, plus one strength, you know. And then they have community. And so I took those aspects and I applied mm. it to lawmaking. So when an organizer, we call them a riser, joins the game, they are never given more than they can handle. And so this, it's an easy first step. That's correct, Yes. The first step is that they write what it is that brought them to the table. Why are they there? And along the way, a couple levels down, they transform that into talking to a member of Congress, and then they transform that to testifying in front of the Senate, and then they transform that to passing through the chamber, and then repeating on the next chamber, and then getting it to the governor's desk, right? Wow. So these levels make it Mm -hmm. bite-sizable and accessible. People, especially again, in this time of frustration and time of waning faith in our democracy, just want to know that they have agency. And what we are providing with Hoponomics and at RISE is a roadmap to that. Mm -hmm. There's never been a better or more vital moment in our history for everyday people to understand that they hold the power. And that's what Hoponomics is about. Wow, amazing. Incredible. Yeah. We can go back to passing a law, too. I can go through that yeah, step. Yeah, what's, what's the steps of passing a law? Right. Like, so, if I feel like something is unjust mm-hmm. and I want to change, make a change. Mm-hmm. How, like, how do you do that? Yeah. Realistically, can I make that change through passing a law? And how long will it take? And yeah. what are those steps? Well, take it from someone who's done it 21 times. Uh-huh. You can absolutely do that. So going back to agenda-making authority, we're going to get wonky for a second. So there are a couple stages to passing a law. First, the bill needs to be introduced into a committee. Then that bill needs to be put onto the agenda to be voted out of that committee. If it passes the committee, then it goes to the floor of a chamber. Now, Congress has both the House and the Senate. Let's say that this is the Senate. So it passes out of the Senate committee, goes to the floor of the Senate chamber. Then the head of the Senate needs to put it up for a vote. Mm -hmm. Agenda-making authority is super, super important here. If it 
is on the agenda and it gets a vote and it passes, then it does and repeats the process on the, on the House, right? Mm. So the process again, introduce a bill to committee. The committee needs to put it onto the agenda to get to be voted on. Then it goes to the floor of a chamber, say it's the Senate, Senate floor, and then it repeats its process on the House side. Hmm. Now, integral in this is the catalyst points. If you look at the process, right, the rules, there are only four people in the entire United States Congress who are decision makers. Really? Those people are the people who hold the authority to set the agenda, right? So, so you need to meet one of those people to, that's set correct. to get on the agenda. That's correct. There are 535 members of Congress. And that's why I say it's really important to understand the rules in order to hack the system. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to all these other people. Go to the people who make the decision. In today's world, we have platforms that have democratized our voices, social media, but also you can Google literally mm-hmm. the emails of everyone, the, the, yeah. of everyone yeah. because they work for you. Right. <laughs> These are public servants. Their phone numbers are online, yes, the emails. Yes, they are. Set up a meeting. It is your right to do so. What if the meeting, what if they say, oh, we're busy for the next six months? Keep on doing it. Really? Yeah, and show up. Just show up at the door. Yeah, so I'll talk about showing up. In Massachusetts, I was told the day before the Massachusetts legislative cycle was going to end that the speaker was not going to bring up my bill Mm. and that it was going to die. And I was already in the airport, like about to board this plane to go from D.C. to Boston. And I went into the bathroom and I cried because I was just like, well, why would I go and watch my own civil rights get slaughtered? And it was other rape survivors who called me and said, just be present in that state house. Make sure that you stand at the door and let each one of these representatives, as they walk out, see your face. And I was the last person on that plane. And for the next day, when I got there, even our lead sponsors, the lead senators and representatives who worked on this bill, said, I'm so sorry, it's not going to pass this time. And for the next 14 hours, the RISE team and I literally just walked into the decision-makers' offices and said, I'm here, here's why I care about this issue. Um, Respectfully, please listen to our stories. Ask people to call into the speaker's office. I witnessed those calls come in, in person. And at the end of those 14 hours, he brought it up for a vote and it passed unanimously. Wow. Mm -hmm. Why would they not pass something like this? That's beneficial to all. That's right. Right? The most doesn't common, hurt a party. It doesn't like. Yeah, that's right. It makes them look really good too. Right? Why would they say, "Ah, we're just not going to pass this"? Politics is not about logic <laughs> or facts. Mm-hmm. If it was, we'd have a very different climate now. It's all about emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, when you're talking to these people, mm-hmm. it's about convincing them to care and prioritize. Politicians get. Like a, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. They have so many people coming at them all the time, talking about all the different issues. So how do you rise above that and mm-hmm. make the case that they should do this too? To be very honest with you, this is a very sad reality, but it's true. The way that we have done this is by empathy building, mm-hmm. um, but also specifically bringing in celebrities. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, the shiny Terry thing that Cruz. they will. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful for Terry. So they'll listen yeah. to a celebrity. That's right. It's press or celebrity. Really? Yeah. So 
the list of it because it's like more tension. So now they have heat on them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I had already passed the federal law, the Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights through the United States Congress, when I asked Terry to come and testify with me in the United States Senate. And the reason why I asked him to do that anyways is because even if the federal law passed because of states' rights and federalism, most rape cases are adjudicated in state courts. So the federal law impacts 25 million people. However, we still need to pass these rights state by state. Mm, um, and state legislation is not as flashy um, or as people just don't look at as much as federal laws. And so the United States Senate held a hearing to help us amplify. If I just testified, it would not have had the type of world-trending impact that Terry Crews came and testified on. And Terry lent his platform in order for us to do so, and it directly resulted in laws getting passed. Wow. Mm -hmm. So one person being up there made a huge difference. Immense difference. Yeah, immense. You know, our Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very grateful to him. And he serves as an example of someone being able to tell their story and mm-hmm. use it for good. Yeah, and then it was like Gillette commercial had it yes, in there and everything yes, else. Yes, it did. And it spread it even more. Yeah. It's amazing. So you went on to raise $20 million now from the— Oh, no, $2 million. $2 million. What did I say $20 million? $2 million. <laughs> no, but Start that with is our goal. <laughs> now $2 million. Yes. Over the last four years, That's is that right. what it's been? Yeah. How have you been able to do that, raise that much money? That is— Absolutely a mental game, if I have to say. Like, I grew up with an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. My parents were boat refugees from Vietnam. I remember I had a meeting with a high net worth individual, and it wasn't even that person. It was, like, their person's gatekeeper. And I had calculated, okay, we need $16,000 in order to make it to, like, survive, you know, for another month or something like that. And I asked him that, and I'll never forget his response. He said to me, I'm offended by your request, right? $16,000 is chump change to me. And I was just like, I'd, I'd not had $16,000 in my life. Like, what? And it was at that moment that I realized, like, my horizons just expanded mm-hmm. to understand how much capital there is out there. And that if you want something, and if you believe in these rights, then you need to ask for it. And you need to ask really confidently for it. Right, look, presidential candidates right now are raising multi-millions based on the promise of them. Maybe making it. Maybe making it and maybe enacting change. And guess what? At RISE, we've already passed 21 laws for 40 million people. We hold the track record for being, again, America's most successful legislative reform movement. And do I believe in these rights? Yes. Do they require capital in order to make sure that our team has the resources to accomplish their mm-hmm. goal? Yes. And if ex-presidential candidate can raise ideas for the promise of their idea, then I can raise millions mm. of dollars for actual track records. Mm. What's the biggest fear you have personally? That's a great question. I think... The hardest thing, I think it's, there's like two types. There's a professional one and a personal one. Personal. Yeah, so. <laughs> Speak to the heart. Yeah. In your personal life. I think the hardest thing anyone can do is learn to love themselves. Mm. Right? Fully and authentically. And Have you done that yet? Yeah. 
I really do love myself. That's good. But it's a struggle. I don't love myself every day. And I certainly did start off with that, especially for individuals who are part of marginalized communities and have identities. Marginalized identities are compounded. Society tells mm-hmm. you to be a certain way. Yeah. Of course it's hard to love yourself. That is the greatest challenge that we do when we wake up every single day, which is how do we live our God-given potential and be happy with who we are and thrive and, and contribute to our own lives and whatever vision it is what we're trying to create. Yeah, and it's so, so hard. How do you practice self-love? It's every day. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. So what I mean by that is I deliberately create choices in my career and in my personal life that spark joy. I feel I'm recondoing yeah, <laughs> my life. But in activism, especially for organizers and activists who work on issues that come from their own personal trauma, there is an incredible danger of performative trauma. What I mean by that is a lot of, even let's say sexual violence survivors, when they go speak on an issue, are expected to talk about the most gruesome details of their rape. And it's kind of a voyeuristic experience for the person who is, you know, let's say, oh, that's so terrible. When I created Rise, it was deliberately named Rise to recognize that you're coming from a place but going up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I structured and architected this social movement to have an outlet, right? So it is a journey. People are moving somewhere. And for my personal experience, I found my own form of justice by being able to pen my own civil rights into existence and help other people do that too. Wow. Yeah. And that's the next phase of RISE, actually. So over the past eight months, we launched a accelerator for social movements. So in cities across America... Any social movement. That's correct. In cities across America, tech entrepreneurs can apply to umbrella organizations. And when an entrepreneur has a good idea based on the merit of their idea, they can get seed funding or mentorship. That doesn't exist for civil rights until now. Over the past 21 laws, we've amassed an honest broker reputation between um, all political parties. And uh, we are using those resources and that knowledge and the roadmap to train the next generation of change makers. So if actors or organizers have an idea about how to change a law specifically and are relentlessly committed to doing so, Mm. they have a lot of grit, (laughs) they can apply. And if they get accepted, we will cover their opportunity cost to start up their social movement. Interesting. So we pay those people seed funding, and give them mentors, coaches. Um, the tools and how to correct. pass these laws. Yeah. Right. It's, our mission is to help everyday people pass their first law. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What's a law that needs to be passed? <laughs> there are so many. Really? Yes. But the first incubation that we've done are with the survivors um, and friends of the Parkland shooting. Mm -hmm. So eight months ago, their founder, Robert Shentrup, came to me and described a meeting that he had had with a senator where that senator said, I want to work on these issues, but I don't think I can because I'd lose my seat in the primary. Mm -hmm. And instead of being mad, Robert, 
who lost his sister, Carmen Shantrup, in the shooting, by the way. Robert turned to me and said, I don't care. I just want to make it safe for this guy to vote yes so that I don't lose my other sister to gun violence. And that is what it takes, an understanding of the system and and grit and compromise. And so Robert and a group of incredible young people started this organization called Zero USA for zero gun deaths in America. They have been full-time at RISE for the past eight months and have gone through the Hoponomics training. And they are currently in 15 states now. Robert met with President Trump in the Mm. Oval Office and met with Democratic House leadership. And last month, he testified in the Colorado State House on a bill that they support. That bill passed, and it's on its way to the governor's desk. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. How does someone detach the emotional anger from the pain they feel, the injustice that's happened to them, or they see from someone else that they care about or they're in their community. How do they build a movement so that an idea gets passed without this emotional charge? Because you said that Congress making a decision is like an emotional feeling, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you can do it if you're just like this emotional person crying and screaming and shouting and pouting all day long. Like it's not going to get a message across. Absolutely. So how does someone who's been through this trauma or pain get a message across with passion, but not this crazy emotional energy? That is perhaps one of the toughest skills we teach at RISE. Because I see these activists online that are just screaming, and I'm like, you're not getting a message That's across not. to me. Yeah. And I'm not even the person you're trying to convince That's here, right? Correct. It's like, absolutely. The people passing these laws, they're just gonna block that off. That's say, absolutely you're, true. You're exhausting me. That's absolutely you true. Know? So the biggest critique that we get is that we are not radical enough. And I own that mm. criticism, right? For me, I did radical not. So you pass laws though without being radical. You so. <laughs> I did not have the political luxury of a cathartic performance. Mm -hmm. I had urgency. My rape kit had a literal timeline to be destroyed. And what that means is that every six months, it was counting down to this Kafka-esque game where my justice would be literally thrown in the trash. And I needed to work with anyone and everyone within the, uh, within the legislative process in order to pass these laws. Mm-hmm. That profoundly shaped the way that I negotiated my rights. Yeah. So here's where the national security side, the diplomacy side of homonomics comes in. In just any relationship, even in our personal relationships, the closer that relationship is, the more it can be distorted, Right. Maybe you're having an argument with your girlfriend Mm -hmm. um, and you yell over something so small. Would you have done that with a stranger, you know? In international relations, in national security, let's say we are negotiating with a dictator on nuclear disarmament. Maybe that dictator has a lot of other issues that they need to get better on. But for that moment, when you're at the table, you're only working on nuclear disarmament. And you're trying to move that ball forward on that one issue. Being able to keep your eye on the ball and focus on that. And not only detach yourself. Right? You're not forgetting all the other things that you're, you're doing. But you are putting that at the door when you walk in because you have a very specific goal and trying to make that change. That set of skills is really important mm. when it comes to domestic policy, and it's often forgotten. So just like in personal relationships when things are distorted, citizens of a country may have a sort of different relationship with 
the types of skills and tools and tactics that they use in demanding their rights from their senators. It doesn't mean don't demand them. Again, activism, organizing, both are necessary. But if you want to pass laws... If you want to get results. That's right. Democracy inherently requires its citizens to hash things out. And so when survivors at RISE or any organizer enters a room of a senator, they leave their political tribalism at the door. Um, What does that mean? We are in such a partisan time where when you turn on the TV, all we hear are reduced sound bites for retweets. People are just trying to get at each other. It's theater. Mm-hmm. We don't really hear steadfast policymaking. Right. And I mean, our government can't even keep itself open. <laughs> and in the meantime, people suffer, right? And so political tribalism saying, I am right, my party is right, and mm-hmm. your party is wrong, mm-hmm. and just trying to tear each other down, that can get money for political fundraisers because you're literally rooting for your team. That's what it is. Yeah. But legislation, True lawmaking, and one that helps people, demands that we sit down and we sit in these uncomfortable spaces. Mm-hmm. We climb over these empathy walls and really engage with the other side. Yeah. And um, that's really hard to do, but that's what we train our organizers to do. Wow. Yeah. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game. Or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Amazing. So what's next then? (laughs) What are you most excited about? Every day I wake up and the two burning questions I have are, 
what is my place in the universe and what am I going to do about it? And I think both civil rights and astrophysics answers that question. But in terms of the civil rights work, this blueprint that we're creating together at RISE is meant to help other people be able to pen their own civil rights mm -hmm. into existence. And success to me looks like I'm not needed anymore. Because first of all, I want to go to space. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I did this out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And the choices that I've made in creating this social movement was not in building a career out of it or not in putting my identity around it, but what is the fastest exit for me and most efficient way yeah. for me to get rights and then also empower other people to get rights because that was a response that we received after President Obama signed our law. And how can I create modes of thinking that are accessible to bring democracy back to be into the hands of the people and then go to space? <laughs> so, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So every day I wake up and I still believe that I have agency to change the world around me. Mm. Um, and I'm so grateful for that, not only for my own agency, but the agency to have other people yeah. have that empowerment That's too. That's amazing. And how can people get involved or follow the, yeah. the movement? Or if they want to launch their own campaign, what can they do? Everyone can go to risenow.us and apply. So if you have an idea that you want to um, enact to change the world, specifically a way, a law that you want to write, you can go and find the application. And if folks want to join other campaigns, that's also available too. So you can volunteer your time. Here's the remarkable part about our first couple of laws. We did this in our spare time. Mm -hmm. So I ended up choosing my career. I served in the Obama administration wow. and on the side did rise. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Thank you. So it didn't have to be this full-time thing That's correct. of like activism all day long, That's screaming right. and marching. and yeah. No, there's another way. There's um, another way. And that way... A smarter way. There is a way to pass laws in an efficient manner that brings back, well, civility, to be honest. Humanity, yeah. Yeah. That's at the core of what we do. It's recognizing, and sometimes it's very hard to, mm -hmm. the humanity in everyone. One of the ways that we were able to coalition build is by bringing unlikely, unsavory allies to the table and saying, look, this is what we want to do, and we want to hear you out too. Mm. Most people, again, it's on an emotional level with other people, yeah. which is with everyone, don't want to be left out. Right? Uh -huh. um, and the issue of sexual violence as a lot of other contentious issues doesn't boil down to facts, right? Mm. If it was, then we wouldn't have been litigating so many different flashpoints within our culture within recent memory, from Supreme Court justices mm -hmm. to presidential elections, whatever. Yeah. You choose, turn on the TV. <laughs> but the idea here is to have people remember that no one is powerless when we come together. Wow. What happens now with um, those who are convicted of rape? Mm -hmm. What happens like with the laws? What is, what is the crime? Yeah, the sentence? that really varies from state to state. Really, it really, really varies, and it really varies depending on the judge as well. That's a whole other arena of reform waiting to happen. Because it's still kind of like a game of like, well, this is what he said, she said, she said, he said. Yeah. Unless there's like video evidence, maybe. Or a rape kit. <laughs> or a rape kit. Yeah. So, again, 
even a rape kit, someone could say, well, this was consensual. This person wanted it. They said yes. They said, you know, I don't know. I'm just making this no, up. No, no, no. No, totally. So it's all about like, you know, it can be very traumatic for the man as well if he was like, well, I didn't think this was rape. Yeah. No. Yeah, we are certainly entering into an era where people are being, people are having dialogue on this what constitutes consent Mm -hmm. um, and what constitutes, what are the ramifications for non-consensual. And uh, when do they teach you this, you know? Right. When are you taught the rules, the laws, the, you know? Yeah. There's like a moral rule and then there's like an actual law. Yeah. And when is anyone ever taught this? Exactly. I think that's an incredibly important conversation to be had right now. The laws that I've written don't even go there. It is literally the first step in reforming a broken criminal justice system at the very start. So mm-hmm. there's so much work that's to be done. Yeah. And one of them starts by recognizing that um, when we come to the table, everyone needs to have an understanding. Um, and people don't have an understanding now because we haven't had this conversation before. Yeah. yeah. That even extends internationally as well. Right? So one of the campaigns that we're doing at RISE is a universal Survivor Bill of Rights where uh, we are asking governments to recognize the uh, humanity in all survivors. The United Nations General Assembly has never passed a resolution that has solely focused on survivors of sexual mm. violence. Rape has always been a subcategory of another issue, and rape happens outside of war. <laughs> Peace is not the absence of visible conflict. In order for there to be true peace, survivors need to have the opportunity to access justice. And so our universal Bill of Rights seeks to have governments recognize the full dignity of survivors and have the priority of having criminal justice systems there to be able to be of service for survivors. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big issue. I think the stat that I've heard is one in... One in four women have been sexually abused and one in six men. That's right. And it's just like it's such a big issue that there's two parts of it. There's the healing part of it yeah. for the victim. It's like how to how to heal and for and forgive or move on or whatever you need to do to heal. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the legal part. It's yes. like how do you process this legally mm-hmm. so this doesn't happen again right. or this person is, you know, brought to justice. Right. So it's kind of two different issues. Yeah, it is two different it's like issues. How do we teach this? in the world so that we have better humanity and and how do we move forward these laws so it's amazing what you're doing it's really inspiring did i read that you were nominated for nobel peace prize someone nominated you yeah how how does that even work (laughs) yeah when when will you know if you get it so i will know october um let's go come on (laughs) thank you get it make it happen Uh, it's just one person a year i'm ignorant to this like how many people get nominated how many um, people win it a year so it's actually different categories a um a secret how many people are nominated um or rather who gets nominated they keep it the nobel committee i let the secret out sorry (laughs) no it's okay this one my my nominators specifically issued a public letter um to let the world know uh that they nominated me specifically because they wanted to uplift the work on the international level Mm -hmm. that we were doing Mm And I'm so grateful um, to my nominators. I actually had the immense honor of attending, uh, thanks to the invitation of the Nobel um, Peace Prize Committee, uh, the Nobel Prize uh, ceremony last year. Wow, what it's was in that like? Oslo. It is literally the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Wow. I don't want a wedding ceremony. I want a Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. I mean, the it was so wholesome. Mm. It was magical and the prize is for goodness. It's for humanity. Yeah. You know, and people up. That's yeah. right. Um and I mean, it was history and, and to be able to witness um uh, Nadia and Dennis, the two who won last year, who are in my field, by the way, they're both sexual violence activists. Wow. Yes. Um, was such an immense honor. Um, yeah. So uh, the room holds about like maybe 200 to 300 people. Small. Yeah. And the royal family comes uh, and there's this whole procession. The um, past winners come probably, some of the past winners. Actually, they don't. So it's actually, and nominees don't get to go either. So it was really special that mm. the committee extended this invitation That's for cool. me. And it was because I, I work in the field. So it depends every year. It's based on the committee and how much they, who they want to award. Wow. So this past year, there were two people that were awarded. And so the invitees are split between them. Nadia is a member of the Yazidi community. And Dennis is from the DRC Congo. Wow. And so, I mean, the pride the immense pride, deservedly so, of these two communities. Um, just when they spoke, I mean, these flags were flying, people mm. were crying. I mean, I wish it was a bigger thing in America mm. because it really is based on a shared belief in our common humanity. It, it was it was so delightful. Um, it, yeah. It just makes you remember maybe everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also shows the ripple effects of yeah. uh, what we're able to do together. Yeah, how one person can make a, a huge ripple yeah. just by starting an idea, starting a movement, yeah, planting and, a seed. Yeah, and speaking up. That's it. You know? What makes you feel the most loved? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm so lucky to feel that love, but it hasn't always been that way. So when I first started advocating for my rights. I The first time was in the Massachusetts State House. It was six hours of me telling politicians who just straight up did not care. Mm-hmm. I remember one of them being like, oh, my constituents just don't know me for this, but I'm sympathetic. <laughs> or somebody else would be like, oh, I have a campaign to run. I don't know how well this would go. And I was like, thanks for your brutal honesty, but also I watched these politicians debate the feasibility of my own human rights in front of my face. And... I went home and I cried. I was just like, I just need one person to tell me that they love me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pathological optimist. It is sort of required to be an astronaut. Um, <laughs> um, certainly required to be an activist. Yeah, and exactly. So the next day I got up and I did the same thing, this time to the United States Senate. And I got into it was my lunch break because I was working. And I got into this Uber ride where the driver was this kind of stoic, intimidating guy. He didn't really talk to me. But as we were going to the Senate, he saw that I was going there, and he asked me why. And so I told him, and this once intimidating man just started just started tearing up. And he turned to me, and he said, my daughter is a rape survivor, wow. and what you went through, she went through too. And when he stopped the car, he said, can I shake your hand? Thank you so much for fighting for my daughter. Wow. Has anyone told you that they love you today? I love you. And I'll never forget that, Dad. Right? So... One of the greatest things that I tell people is when you're doing this work, it's not in isolation. Even though you may feel lonely, mm. the change that you're creating in that vision impacts more than directly the people you're trying to, to help. 
Wow. It impacts our loved ones as well. That's amazing. Um, there's so much love out there. Yeah. Well, you feel it then, right? Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. This is a question I ask at the end. It's called the three truths. Oh. So I want you to imagine a far uh, time away yeah. that it's your last day on earth. And you can live as long as you want to live. Maybe you've extended your life to 300 years because you've got some crazy astronaut <laughs> space stuff that you, you've, you've added to your life yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's the last day, and you've got to, um, it's, it's been a beautiful life. You've achieved everything you want. You've passed every bill that you could possibly think of. You've moved humanity forward. You've got the family of your dreams, everything. But you've got to turn the lights off, and you have to take everything with you. So all of your work has to go with you. Your messages, your oh, writings, wow. your books, your videos, your audio, it's all going to come with you, your message. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true about everything you've learned in life. These would be the three lessons, or what I like to call three truths, that you would just share with the world. What would you say are yours? All right. My first one is that no one is invisible when we demand to be seen. Mm. My second one is, I said this earlier, no one is powerless when we come together. The third one requires a little bit of explaining, a little bit of space nerddom. So when astronauts go to space for the first time, many of them experience this thing called the overview effect. It's a psychological cognitive shift that happens. And it's seeing every living being that's ever lived or died on a pale blue dot. Crazy. And what it does is it inspires awe in the full definition of awe, like <laughs> fear, but also amazingness. People who go to space and come back say that we are all in the spaceship Earth together. Why are we fighting over such trivial things? You can't see man-made borders in space. What you can see is that we are all one humanity. And so the last thing that I would hope to leave behind is this idea that we are one and that our brother and sisters across the world are all in this together. Mm. So the overview effect. <clears throat> mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to acknowledge you, Amanda, for your courage to, to take action because it's not an easy thing to do. You know, to take action when you were going through an emotionally challenged, probably the, the hardest challenging time emotionally for yourself and to say, I want to stand up for myself and try to make change and do this just after graduating college, figuring it out on your free time. I mean, it's really inspiring. So I acknowledge you for sticking it out and making an impact and getting results because most people have lots of money and they try to make a change and they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And you're showing us that we can if we're just totally. willing to stick it out mm -hmm. and come from a place of, it sounds like compassion. Of course, you're, you had a lot of pain and anger and frustration, but you learned how to emotionally shift and get results. Yeah. Like that's a great example of what's possible for anyone. So I acknowledge you for, for everything you're Thank doing, you for so helping much. people that want to make a change as well. Where can we follow you personally? <laughs> Instagram is where I update most of my life. And so you can find me. My full name is Amanda, N-G-O-C-N-G-U-Y-E-N. Um, that's my handle. And then on Twitter, at uh, my last name is N-G-U-Y-E-N underscore Amanda. Okay. And the yeah. website is rise? RiseNow.us. RiseNow.us. Yeah. This is uh, the last question 
And uh, it's what's your definition of greatness? Oh, oh, that's a good one. Why did I anticipate that question? <laughs> um, it's to love who you are. Mm. Yeah, because that that definition can change based on each individual and based on every generation. It's up to every generation to define for itself. Um, so ultimately, it's uh, to love who you are. Yeah. Amanda Wynn, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> there you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Amanda Wynn. Loved everything she talked about in terms of building a movement and building a team around you to help support this movement that you have. If you feel like something is frustrating in you, you in your life or with government policy or the laws, you can make a change. She is living proof that you can, and you don't need to have all the money in the world. You don't need to have all these things for you right now. You can just have a voice and start going down the process of making it happen. I'm not saying it's going to be super easy, but there's definitely a way to make any of this happen. If you enjoyed it, share this with your friends. Tag a girlfriend of yours that you know has some big ideas but needs that extra kick and inspiration. Show her what's possible through Amanda Wynn's story. Again, lewishouse.com slash 788. Big thank you to Amanda. Make sure to tag her on Instagram. Let her know you enjoyed this and listen to it as well and send her some love over there. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys so very much. You have the power to make your voice be heard. And it's not through shouting. It's not through screaming. It's not through anything that's going to piss people off necessarily. You might make some noise, but will you be heard? You'll be heard when you build an emotional connection through a story and move people emotionally. Think about that the next time you're trying to communicate to a friend, a business partner, a colleague, a family member. Move them emotionally and connect with them. Make a change that lasts. And as Woodrow Wilson said, you are here in order to enable the world to live more amply with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world. Ask yourself, what am I doing today to enrich the lives around me? Am I lifting people up or am I hurting them through my negative energy? You have the power to make a change in every moment of your life. Thank you all so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.